God. And I'm reading Psalm 36. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your... (laughs) Your justice, like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. The word of our Lord. Well, I'd like to uh, begin by saying a special thank you to Matt and Valerie who have served us so well over the last two Sundays. I'm sure you've uh, been blessed by their messages as I have been listening to them on the podcast. So at the moment, we are in between series. We finished a series looking at Peter's life, Peter the Disciple. Commencing next week, we're going to spend, I can't recall if it's four or five Sundays in May, Uh, But anyhow, during the month of May, we will be um, engaging with material that Baptists across New South Wales and ACT are going to be looking at. God who sends us on mission. Uh, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we're going to be spending the next month in May uh, focusing on, uh, on some material that has been especially prepared for churches to engage with during the month of May as we consider our God who is on mission and calls us to be on mission with him. Uh, And then we're going to come back to our series in Peter, looking at Peter the Apostle, in particular Acts 1 to 11. So with this sort of three-week break in between that series, I thought it might be fun to look at some psalms. So I said to Matt and Valerie, pick a psalm, any psalm, you've got 150 to choose from. So basically each of us had 148 psalms to select from. How on earth do you select one psalm from 148? Well, I turned 36 on Friday, so I thought for a bit of fun, I would choose to preach on Psalm 36, having absolutely no prior knowledge of what this psalm was about. Uh, But it is wonderful. 36 is a rather forgettable age. It's certainly a fly-under-the-radar type of age. 
However, I always find birthdays a wonderful opportunity to pause and to give thanks to God for the gift of life. I find myself in a season of life where blessings abound. I truly have so much to give thanks for. I enjoy good health. I have many loving relationships, a sense of calling on my life, employment that is both challenging and deeply satisfying, a beautiful family, and I live in a desirable coastal location. It's not hard to add up the blessings. However, regardless of our age and stage of life, we who are in the Lord have so much to be thankful for. And we can all take heart in the fact that our best years, my friends, are always in front of us. They're never behind us if we are in the Lord. Amen? It's something we can take great joy and delight in. I trust that this psalm can help us this morning to reflect on the blessings of those who live under the care and the protection of Almighty God. Psalm 36 is anything but forgettable. It is a very rich psalm contrasting the character of the wicked who have no fear of God against the divine character of God himself. Starting from Psalm 1, comparing the righteousness of God with the wickedness of those who don't fear him is a dominant theme that weaves its way right throughout the entire Psalter. You might recall a couple of weeks ago Matt explaining that within the 156 Psalms are five books and that within those five books there is a variety of genres uh, within the Psalter itself. Psalm 36 forms part of Book 1, which is Psalms 1 to 41, and it is considered a lament. The Psalms of Book 1 are primarily Psalms of David, and the dominant flavour is prayers or songs stemming from a place of distress, but always accompanied by statements of confidence in the God who is sovereign and the God who reigns. As we have been saying, the Psalms provide for us a window into how we can appropriately approach and relate to God with authenticity. Psalm 36 divides neatly into three verses or stanzas. Verses 1 to 4 explore the character of the wicked. Verses 5 to 9 explore the character of Yahweh. And then verses 10 to 12 offer up a prayer in light of these two contrasting characters and natures. Let me read verses 1 to 4. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Presuming that David is the author, he has received what older translations refer to as an oracle. This is like a prophetic insight that has been revealed by Yahweh to one of his servants. A message from God in my heart is a helpful way of translating the word 
oracle. God has revealed something to David in his heart and it has caused him great distress. It's as if the superficial layers of those who don't fear God are stripped away and David is given insight into the core of their nature, their character, if you like. And it's not pretty. In fact, it's downright evil and void of anything good. It is clear from the text that the psalmist himself is not personally threatened by an individual or a group of evil people. It's not as if he has a particular person or even a particular group of people in mind. His concern is more general in nature. The very fact that such wicked people exist is something that is very distressing to him. As one who does fear Yahweh, this oracle grants David insight into the character of those who have absolutely no concern for, respect of, or any kind of consideration that Yahweh might exist. Not fearing God is the root of their wickedness. Those who have no fear of Yahweh become entirely concerned with themselves and building up their own self-image. David paints a picture of one whose eyesight has no vision of God, no room to consider his splendor and his majesty. With their eyesight firmly fixated on themselves, there is no room for objectivity to recognize their sinfulness and their need for God. In addition to their eyesight lacking any sight of God, their mouths, the words that flow from their mouths, are full of wickedness and deceit. Because they have no fear of God, there is nothing driving them morally or ethically, so therefore they fail to act wisely and do good. It's not, as I said, a pretty picture, is it? But then all of a sudden, the psalm moves in a very different direction. The psalmist's thoughts shift from dwelling on this downward spiraling nature of the wicked to the superlative nature of his majestic God. And the descriptions that he gives are very rich. Verse 5, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. If the wicked person has no vision of God to speak of, what a contrast we see here. David's vision of God is an inspired tapestry of the splendor and richness of God's nature. Two pairs of attributes are celebrated in their vast dimensions. Love and faithfulness, followed by righteousness and justice. The first feature of God's character to speak of is his love. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. In other words, Lord, your love is boundless. 
It knows no end. David the psalmist knew God. His vision and description of Yahweh echoes the character and the nature of God revealed to Moses in Exodus 33. Yahweh is indeed, as described in that passage, a God of abounding love. To the psalmist, God's love is absolutely priceless. He takes immense refuge in the knowledge of God's boundless love. The utter heights and depths of God's love as described by David here is grand and dazzling. Lord, grant us a vision of your magnificent love just as you did your servant David. It's not enough to know about God's love from a purely cerebral viewpoint. Love must be felt and experienced to be truly understood. Lord, may we feel and experience the depth and the wonders of your love as your servant, the psalmist, did. David then goes on to describe in rich imagery how Yahweh's love finds expression. God's priceless love, firstly, expresses itself in faithfulness. God's faithfulness is as vast as the skies. Again, like his love, it is boundless. When you look up at the sky, you can't see any limitation. There is no beginning or end. It is an endless expansion. And this is the image the psalmist uses to describe the faithfulness of God. God is the covenant God who keeps his word and acts on his promises. He is trustworthy. He sticks around. He is entirely dependable. What a contrast to what we see in many relationships today. Next, the psalmist dwells on God's righteousness. The Old Testament understanding of righteousness is a relational one. To be righteous is to act rightly in your relationships. It is to conform to the terms or requirements of the relationship one has entered into. In a more general sense, righteous behavior promotes well-being, peace, harmony, the good of society and the community. In a family unit, for example, if a man and a woman uphold their marriage vows, seeking to genuinely fulfill them by remaining true to each other while seeking to raise their children in a nurturing environment of love, care and goodness, then they are acting righteously. The psalmist knows Yahweh as the covenant-making God, the God who keeps his promises, the God who is true to his word, Yahweh is entirely righteous because he always upholds the terms of the relationships which he has entered into. He entered into a relationship with his people, the Israelites, and they kept breaking that relationship. They kept breaking the terms and conditions of that relationship, but Yahweh never did. And to this day, he remains committed 
to his people, to all who are his children who put their faith in him. God is entirely righteous, says the psalmist. His righteousness is like the highest mountain. It is mighty, strong, immovable, grand, and stable. The next aspect that the psalmist will speak of when reflecting upon the character and the nature of God is his justice. And justice is always, a, is always closely associated with righteousness. In fact, in some places they are virtually interchangeable terms. To act justly is to never exploit, abuse or take advantage of another. Again, a bit like righteousness, it is to act justly within the terms of a relationship that promotes peace, harmony, goodness and seeks the well-being always seeks the well-being of other people in all circumstances. We see that God always acts in harmony with his own standards. He does not say one thing and do another. Everything adds up. Justice also has a judicial element. God is judge and his ruling is entirely just. He sees all and he knows all. His knowledge is deeper than the deepest sea. Therefore, he alone can make decisions that are entirely fair and entirely right. Unlike humans who can and unfortunately do exploit and abuse each other and animals, God cares for and seeks the preservation of life. Hiding in the shadow of God's wings is a beautiful image that is spoken of elsewhere in the Psalms and also in the book of Ruth. It is a picture of care, of safety, of protection. It highlights something of the maternal instinct, that motherly instinct that makes up part of God's character that Valerie spoke of last week. As some of you would know, last Sunday Andrew had a serious accident on his scooter at a skate park, falling face first, knocking out one of his front teeth. No doubt it was a scary and traumatic experience for him. Now, at this point in time, he was in Canberra, and Bronnie and I were just driving back from the south coast. Her parents had joined us for our final weekend. They very kindly offered to take the boys back on Saturday, because we had to go back to Canberra to pick up our dog, to take the boys back so that we could pack the house and clean without the two older busy boys. This is very kind of them. And uh, while we were at the south coast, we'd been taking the boys to a little skate park at Naruma. It was very small scale and, uh, and they were having a ball. So mum and dad thought it would be a good idea to take the boys to a skate park, which was great, but it was a, a much bigger skate park. And Andrew and all of his enthusiasm uh, got a little bit too excited. But the point that I'm trying to make is that when this accident happened, Andrew was in Canberra and we were three hours away in the car. Now, when a little boy hurts himself, the only place that he wants to be is safely in his mother's arms. They don't want dad. Their instinct is to want mum. Now, the reverse is also true. When a child hurts themselves, the father will feel upset sorry, but the father's attitude is a little bit like, he'll be okay. He's a boy. He'll get over it, right? 
Whereas mum's attitude, on the other hand, is entirely different. A mother cannot function properly until she has that child in her care. And on the drive to Canberra from the coast, Bronnie could not relax or sit still until she could hold Andrew in her arms, offering to him the very thing that he needed. Now we laugh, but if you're a mother, you will know what I'm speaking of. And, and this is what the psalmist is speaking of, that God, in his love and care for us, his children, is like that mother. When he sees us, when he sees his children in distress, in pain, in suffering, it's as if he cannot relax until he is cradling them in his arms. What a beautiful image of the love of God. God is not like the father that says, you'll be right, mate, on your way. Isn't that wonderful? It's absolutely wonderful. The next description is one of warm, abundant hospitality. In God's home, there is an extravagant feast that awaits us. There is beautiful produce to feast on. The very best and finest foods to enjoy and drink to satisfy and quench any thirst. The voice version translates verses 8 to 9 beautifully. In your house, they eat and are full at your table. They drink from the river of your overflowing kindness. You have the fountain of life that quenches our thirst. Your light has opened our eyes and awakened our souls. Being the loving and kind wife that Bronnie is, she asked what I would like for my birthday dinner. After a little bit of deliberation, I requested a family favourite. Lasagna with garlic and uh, salad, garlic bread and salad, and the lasagna has bacon in it, which just makes it all the better, uh, followed by a sticky date pudding with ice cream. Now, Bron is always very generous in her cooking. So she prepared a big pot of mints the day before and the caramel sauce, saying that it tastes better the next day. So when I sat down to eat, I felt very loved and appreciated. I left that dinner table feeling very satisfied. No one leaves the table of God feeling hungry or dissatisfied. It's as if you've sat down to your favourite birthday meal that has been lovingly prepared just for you. This is the image that the psalmist is conjuring up to somehow try and communicate how grand and glorious God's love is. It's like nothing else. The immense kindness of God is felt as we sit at his table and feast on his delights. Verse 9, referring to God being the fountain of life, acknowledges that life in every sense is a gift from the Lord. Wherever there is life, one is receiving life from the life source. Wherever there is life, one is receiving life from the life source. Birthdays are always good occasions for us to reflect upon this very precious fact. Our lives derive from none other 
than God Almighty. The very air that we breathe into our lungs is a gift from Him. Now, I think this is part of the irony that the psalmist wrestles with at the start. The existence of wicked who, just like him, receive their life source from the same fountain of life. How can this be? It is indeed a puzzling thought to dwell on that God has given and sustains the life of those who don't fear him and who live in complete rebellion to him. Surely, this too speaks of the insurmountable love and grace of God. In your light, we see light. The dark of doubt caused by the wicked is driven away by the light of God's love. Light vanquishes darkness. Just like at the beginning of creation, where God spoke light into existence and began defeating the dark chaos, so too the glory of God's light opens our eyes to see these, uh, the amazing abundance of his life-giving love and the darkness of wickedness is defeated and overcome. Having reflected on the depressing character of the wicked, in contrast to the matchless and flawless character of Yahweh, the psalmist concludes the psalm with a prayer, requesting that the Lord's blessing continue to fall upon those who are his, as well as providing protection from the wicked. Verse 10, continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. The concluding declaration of Psalm 36 prepares the way for a much more extended description of the destruction of the wicked that occupies much of Psalm 37. Psalm 36 paints a negative picture regarding the wickedness of those who do not fear Yahweh. It's confronting and disturbing. You don't have to look very hard to see how much evil and wickedness there is in this world. So this psalm rings true just as much today as it did when it was first composed. Without a healthy fear of God, people are naturally inclined to seek their needs and wants first. And in doing so, they become preoccupied with themselves unable to critically observe the sinfulness that plagues their hearts. Without a constant awareness of God and an active personal presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within our hearts, people's view of right and wrong becomes distorted and warped and they can be very destructive with their words and deeds. In stark contrast to the nature and character of those who do not fear God, Psalm 36 highlights the incredible nature and character of a God who abounds in love. This is a God who is faithful, who keeps his word, who acts on his promises. A God who is righteous and upholds the relational terms of the covenant that he entered into with his people. It is a God who is entirely just and offers equity, equality, fairness and dignity to all living people and creatures. 
He is intimately kind, merciful, and warmly hospitable. In him, life is formed, found, and flourishes. May this God uphold you. May he fill your heart with hope in the face of despair. May he grant you a greater awareness of his Holy Spirit's presence that we might be renewed daily into people of greater holiness and righteousness. May he protect you, my friends, from those who would seek to bring you down and discredit your faith. May we stand firmly in him, knowing with certainty that he is sovereign, in control, and can always be trusted. May we not be a people who despair at the state of evil in the world, but take great heart in knowing that the victory against the devil has been won, that death has been defeated, and that goodness and love, in the end, will conquer over evil and wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please stand and join us as we finish our service and we sing of the unending love of God and the amazing grace.